Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Danny, it's been a while since we've done a, a Gov Actually. It's the summer doldrums. Uh, I, I actually thought the Fed Scoop people were going to like do some reruns, but uh, we never oh, yeah, quite no reruns. never talked to well, Billy because Billy was on vacation too, I think. So uh, you don't really need. It's all up there. It's right? true. It's true. And I, I think there's nothing more disappointing than to get a new podcast dumped into your podcast app and then you find out it's actually an old podcast. I haven't had that happen. Oh, Does yeah, that yeah. really happen? Oh, that happens. Like, oh, but we've added some new content at the end, which is never quite. What's your favorite? I know we're going to get into government, but what's your favorite podcast that you're listening to besides, obviously, Gov Actually? Uh, I only I only listen to prior episodes of Gov Actually. Over and over. <laughs> is that really no, true? I, uh, I'm a big fan. Of- you know, this whole podcast started with you and I. Trading, I trading yeah, uh, suggestions yep. of what podcasts we listen to. I'm a big 99% Invisible fan. Oh, tell That's, me that. I don't know that. It's one. about design and um, really with a, an emphasis on urban design. Okay. It's got Roman Mars, who uh, someday I hope I can sound like Roman Mars. Um, uh, I just think he's you know he's got the got a voice for radio that's for sure um and uh freakonomics is another good one but oh, yeah. planet money was the and this american life were the kind of they were the oc uh og uh sorry OG, oc something completely <laughs> like different. a tv show or something. Yeah, yeah yeah no they're the og uh, uh podcast for me okay i'm into slow burn right now i definitely have you because they did yep. They did the Nixon Watergate, which is fascinating, and now they're doing the Clinton Lewinsky. Did you jump over to the RFK tapes? I've done the RFK tapes. Yeah. Yes. I'm into like the crime town, serial. Mm, Serial is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do you think uh, Adnan's guilty or I, not guilty? I, 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 I'm, I'm you torn. won't you won't I'm you won't torn. say it on the record. I, I, I want I want him to be innocent, but I also want there to be someone who you know I want the family of the poor young lady to. You know, yeah. I want pretty, I want the crime solved. Yeah, but I mean I don't know if, I don't know if we have a engaging character. We re-listened to Serial uh, this summer when we went. We drove down to Hilton Head for family vacation, mm-hmm. and our kids are old enough now, so we re-listened. Did you to take it. like a family vote? Did you have like a jury? Well, I mean, I uh, yeah, I think it was like 50, it's four of us. I think we were fifty fifty. Interesting. But I get caught up on. There's like this one point in the podcast where it just to me reveals his guilt and that is that the guy his co-conspirator jay Mm -hmm. knew where the missing car was so the woman who died oh the girl the high school student who died her car was missing Mm -hmm. and the police go to this guy jay who's the who who helped the accessory after the fact and he knew exactly where the car was wasn't there some so his story is jay what then it might well yeah it's I know well it's either one of the two of them right because it's not some random other person hmm. anyway I digress yeah we sh- well, what are we going to talk about government wise well I actually think um, I think what's got a lot of people kind of fixated on the 
on the news right now and on, on various uh, daily podcasts is the uh, is the confirmation hearing of Supreme Court justice. That's a, yes, that's big. And, and and while I don't think diving into the specifics of the confirmation hearing of this particular Supreme Court justice, I think diving into the specifics of the confirmation process would be very, in fact, of actually like yeah. So I mean, you understanding know, the mechanics. You always know a hearing's big when you go to CNN or whatever, and it's it sounds like C-SPAN because they're just covering the hearing. Right, live. it's like wall to wall. Yes, right. it's like there's no commentary. It's like Wolf Blitzer's job is easy today. Yeah, because all it is is the hearing, and then they do break in every once in a while. That's how I know something big is going on on Capitol Hill. Right, um, and I a Supreme Court nominee going through confirmation is huge so we've both uh, had the the tremendous honor pleasure and to some extent pain of going through the confirmation process yes. so we can bring that experience to the table but let me tell you a funny story about a com- my confirmation hearing and a supreme court nominee's confirmation hearing okay. which happened at the same time oh for when you I had was... one of those joint hearings no <laughs> no actually um uh I was nominated to be the CFO and the Assistant Secretary of Management for Treasury. So that's actually two nominations. In theory, it would have had two different hearings. They combined the hearings. They put it together with the treasurer and oh, wow. the general. Which is neat because they get to have their signature on exactly. currency. I'm very exactly. jealous of that. And uh, I knew Rosie through other work I had done. So it was fun to be on a panel with her. And um, and the general counsel of the IRS. Oh wow, Bill Wilkins. Bill, yeah, Bill oh, yeah. Wilkins. Okay. Um, and so I invited my wife and family to come and and sit in the audience. And and I was like, why am I doing this? And I'm like, Cause it's a big deal. You know, confirmation hearing is a big deal. It's like, okay, fine. Um, she comes, and as she walks into the hallway, it's packed, and there are TV crews, and there's a line of people. And she says, I'm here for the confirmation hearing. And everyone's like, so are we. And she's like, but I'm, you know, family. And like, oh, okay. And they kind of usher up. And um, and they're like, "Um, wait a minute. Um, She's like coming to the front of the line. She's like, wow, this is a really, really, really big deal. Oh, my God, I had no idea. And then she gets to the front of the line. And like on the board, it says confirmation hearing uh, for... Associate Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Okay. And she's like, oh, no, that I'm not for this one. And they're like, right. oh, no. Okay, mind. back of the line. <laughs> and she other goes to an otherwise empty room where there are just a bunch of other, like, family members in a, in a hearing that was uh, – much less, uh, yes. <laughs> much less media coverage and interest. And, and that's so funny. Yeah. So, so one thing I took away from that uh, is that you met your family at the hill. You didn't travel with them to your confirmation right, hearing, right? Because it was in the afternoon, so I came from the church. Okay. Department. So here's my advice to anyone who's going through Senate confirmation. Okay. Do what Dan did, not what I did, because oh. I had my family come. Right. But I went home. They were like my parents. Yeah. My brother. Right. I went home to go be and make the journey from Arlington, Virginia, mm. up to the Dirksen building. In your motorcade? In my, and you know, you know what it's like when you're kind of getting your family out of the house for something. Sure, yeah. There's yeah. like logistics and people are running late. Honey, and, I'm going to be late for my confirmation. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
And so what was already a stressful event. I remember like sitting in traffic uh-huh. uh, in my car on Constitution Avenue, like looking in the rearview mirror with my parents in their car behind me thinking, right. I should be there already. I don't right. know why I went home. Right. And that just added a lot of extra stress. I made it on time. But yes. it's a good lesson learned. Like, just show yeah. up on your yeah. own. You want to take the metro. Be there to hear the opening statement. Pretty much. The, uh, yes. The chairman of and the I remember committee. walking in and my ledge affair, the ledge affairs director at OMB I had this look like, are you, you kidding me, Danny? Like, right. you're coming late to this thing? Right. I wasn't late. But, but the point is, smart move, getting there on your own and just yeah. meeting your family there. Yeah, um, I knew that their presence was optional. Yeah, uh, but deeply appreciated. Yeah, no, um, it's a ni- it's a nice touch, and in fact, it's funny. I you can, I don't know if you've done this, but I did this fairly recently. Like went back and go on Senate.gov, and I found my confirmation really? hearing in the archives, and it's just and my kids are sitting behind me and their little babies back. How there. many How many questions did you get? Uh, how many? Qu- I don't know. I think it ran for about eighty minutes, maybe. Really? Something like that. Wow! Yeah. It was just you. Uh, just you? me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I was on a panel. If it ran for eighty minutes, um, it was because of uh, you know all the niceties and yeah. And then there were some people who came for Rosie to, you know, from the Senate side to like introduce her. Oh or, yes. You know, you're, you're introduced generally. I by tried to a do senator that. from yeah. your state. I'm yes. from the District of Columbia. Kind of hard to do. Yes. We would have loved that option. Yes. Um, and uh, to be perfectly honest, um, uh, Rosie, the treasurer, because she had so many friends on that uh, the other side of the dais, got all kinds of really nice questions. Bill Wilkins, because he was the um, he was the general counsel of the IRS, got all kinds of complicated questions. Yes. And I got one question read to me by the chairman from um, a member of the committee who wasn't there because they were in Sonia Sotomayor's hearing. You got one question? One question. Wow. Which was just merely getting the question on the record so I could answer no, a question that had been asked me in seven different ways orally and nine different ways verbally. All right, uh, I got or, 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 um This is a big buildup here. Yeah. Uh, is, it, is, it, is there going to be a follow-through on how interesting this question no, is? No, this question was deeply, deeply technical and, and boring, but of deep interest to uh, a member of the committee. It related to the tax treatment of uh, transit vehicles wow. and whether I had anything to do with a outlease leaseback of transit vehicles when I was Metro General Manager, and the answer was I didn't. Um, and that was your whole confirmation here? That was my whole confirmation here. Wow. Yeah. That is so, and not that mine was grueling at all, yeah. but um, but what was interesting about my confirmation. Any protesters? No, I'm just no, kidding. no <laughs> protesters. Um, what's interesting, and I was thinking about confirmation hearings, is in some ways for many people it's a relatively easy hearing, I would say, because the work is all done at well before you get in the room. Right? No, I mean what I mean is like. A lot of your answers angle, angle around the theme of that's a really important question, Senator, mm-hmm. and I look forward to rolling up my sleeves and when I get into the position it, yeah. and working with you on it. Because if you're not in seat, you can, and, and it's almost inappropriate for mm-hmm. you to, uh, to opine, uh, to weigh in extensively until you're in seat and getting those questions. For me, I had already been acting in the position for 
almost two years at the right. point of my confirmation. So I wasn't able to anchor to when I get there, I will look into that. Looking I, forward to learning more about exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. I had to know wow. know my stuff. Another reason not to be acting, it sounds like. Well, it was fine. Okay. It was a friendly hearing. And again, the what I was being confirmed for, which is OMB controller, is a very nonpartisan good government issues and the North Star for the job is very clear on both sides of the aisle and so um, it's hard to to trip up Um, you just gotta kind of you can always your answers are always going to be welcome if you're fighting for smarter government less waste and that's really what the position was any surprising questions any questions you got you weren't expecting to get I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I think they're mm-hmm. all like what a what a typical OMB controller would get: improper payments, real property. Right. When is DOD going to get a clean audit opinion? Those types of questions. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about why it's very unlikely you're going to get a question that you haven't heard before at a hearing? Um, and just because the amount of preparation that happens before there, there are staff interviews where they're asking you. Yeah vetting questions and then there are um, QFRs questions for the record that come in first that come in first and then yeah. there are ones that come after yes yeah so the whole pro- let's talk about the the process mm-hmm. um, you know first of all one of the uh, first things that happens which is weird and I'm not really sure that I understand why but the president doesn't nominate you the president announces An his intent, intent to, to nominate, nominate you which right. is like this weird like do you celebrate, like, what do, like, right. is it, like, finished now? Am I nominated? No, you've been intended to nominate. And then there's, like, I don't know, 24, 48, 72 hours before the actual nomination goes through. Right. So that's, you know, this, the intent to nominate, and then the nomination happens. Um, do you think, do you think that's in part, like, the last step in the vetting, just basically a public announcement that we think we might be in, you know, Putting our, this, this foot forward, just let us know if that's a huge mistake or not. Yeah, that's a good question. But even before the uh, the in, the intent to nominate and then ultimately the nomination gets finalized, there's a a very significant vetting process that happens behind the scenes, and they're vetting you. So I don't know if, how it worked for you, but I got approached, and it said, "Are you? Would you be interested?" and uh, taking on a position, on this position. This position happens to require Senate confirmation. It's a presidentially appointed Senate confirmed position. And once you say yes, and and it's a go, then that starts a whole process that's outside of the public view in terms of White House lawyers asking you a bunch of questions, interviewing you, asking you for documents, reviewing your taxes, all of which is going to be submitted to the Senate at some point, mm-hmm. but it's happening first, and you go through this 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 process, which is fairly invasive. I found it invasive, even though my position was very nondescript and like you, like not a not a packed hearing room, right? Um, not not a big news day when I was uh, when my Senate confirmation occurred. Um, so I don't know if you did you find the pre-nomination vetting process with the White House and the attorneys and the documents and the questions and the interviews did you find that invasive or par for the course? No, I, I found it um, incredibly complicated. I needed you know 
a variety of years worth I think it was five um, depending on where you were in the treasury they may have wanted more years of tax returns yeah you needed to know that you had every backup document associated with it there was a a great IRS employee, really talented IRS employee, on loan to the committee, yeah, who conducted an audit of all five uh, years of returns. I, I was asked for a receipt for a hundred dollar um, donation. Yeah. Um, so there was that. There was the whole um, uh, the background check process. I had already been through several times. So just the update of the SF eighty six, which if you're a straight off the street person is a it's it's astonishing anyone's ever able to complete it because it asks you for every address you've ever lived in and then a point of contact every foreign country you've traveled to every foreign individual you've had contact with yes it's uh it's that's the most daunting part so yes having had and you know i keep track of that now do you yeah. Well, first of all, I have a I have an active security clearance. Okay. But the point is, is that I'm I'm just if I ever go back to government right, and go right. through this again, just the idea of starting from yeah. Well, so I have scratch, a, I have a spreadsheet on my computer, excellent. which is all my foreign travel. Nice. Um, so with the specific dates, yeah, they want the, the specific dates, dates. Yeah. And... Just keeping track. So the third time around was GSA, and that was much like your. Um, your OMB experience where you had been acting for a while. So oh, yeah. I had been through a bunch of hearings about GSA. Yes, you already owned the job. Yeah. So when I went for the confirmation hearing, I think actually everyone was a little kind of over it. Oh, that's So my that's confirmation hearing was, again, so the process, because I had an active security class, that was easier. Had to update one year's worth of tax returns. Had to, you know, fill out a different... Um, a different questionnaire yeah had to do a different round of staff questions and a different round of questions for the record yeah so let's just walk through the process so so you you get nominated and then intent to nominate and then what happens is the the ledge affairs office of the organization that you've been nominated to goes to work mm-hmm. and they go to work trying to get the senate to move on it quickly and that means can you please you know, get us the questions, get us the document requests. It's like trading information. That's Schedule the, a hearing. Like I remember, I was nominated in August, and um, and I was on vacation, and I worked the whole vacation on my package because our ledge affairs shop was like, once they send these questions in, we want to turn them around in 24 hours mm-hmm. because we want to show them how quick and urgent we believe it is for you to, to move in the process. So it was like it was essentially begging the Senate staffers to get our paperwork to us so that we can get it back to them immediately. And then pushing and begging, like schedule the hearing, you know, and, and trying to just make the process move as quickly as possible. The questions that you get are both, there's two rounds of questions. There's background questions, very similar to what you get during the White House vetting. Who are you? Where do you come from? Who do you know? What what's your travel like? Just a whole set of different, you know, like personal profile questions. And then there's the substantive questions, where there's a whole slew of questions. On for GSA, for me, it was, what is your position on these issues? How do you plan to deal with these factors when you when you take the job? And then you're just submitting that into the Senate, and that all has to be ticked and tied and completed in advance of your hearing. 
And for me, it was the hearing occurred at the subcommittee level, and then it gets you know bumped up to the committee for a vote. And if you get out of committee, you're to the floor, and then it's a floor vote. And that whole process can take a long time because in order to get to the committee, you got to, someone's got to put you on the docket for a vote by the committee. And, and then once that happens, then once you're on the floor, then someone has to make sure that you're voted on at some point. And so I remember during the, the process, every night, once I was on the floor, I'd go home and I'd watch C-SPAN, and I'd hope that before the Senate adjourned, and they usually did it right at the end. So it would be like 7.15, 7.30 was the typical time that the Senate would finish their business for the night, and I'd be watching C-SPAN 2, hoping that I'd hear that in the final book of business, they'd call my number because mm-hmm. I had a, a number, and then they would go through four or five or six numbers. This was the beginning of the administration, so they were confirming a lot of people every right. day. And then they would skip my number. I was like number 122, and they'd throw, here's who were like for unanimous consent. And isn't that, that's the hotline if you get... Yes, yes, if you're for you unanimous hotline, consent. You get UC. Right? Yeah, and then you can claim like I was... Yeah, a hundred senators exactly. out of a hundred exactly. thought I was qualified unanimously and unanimously confirmed. Unanimously confirmed. Right. Yep. So, and and in fact, the night I was confirmed, I'm watching C-SPAN, and it didn't look like it was going to happen. I was in like one part of my house watching it. It's like seven thirty, seven forty-five, and then I went and went to go do the dishes. Uh, thinking that it wasn't going to happen that night. And then when I finished the dishes, I looked at my BlackBerry and there was all these notes like, congratulations, you've been confirmed. I had, I had missed it. So, But fortunately, TiVo keeps taping even when you leave, so I was oh. able to rewind oh, there you go. and see it. That's so, very nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't have cable, so I missed it in every instance. You don't have cable? No. How do I not know this? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm by modern standards, considered this edgy cord cutter, but I'm actually just really cheap. Is, is that really down. what yeah, it is? It's pretty much that. Yes, yeah. So how do you watch TV? You I don't, don't listen TV? to podcasts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I read books. Okay. Anyway, so uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we can talk a little bit more about the, you know, some of those, those, those details of that confirmation process because it's, uh, it is a, it's a long, painful process. Absolutely. Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. All right. So, uh, Danny, we're back from the break. And while we're we're doing the break, I I looked out the window and I noticed a, a good friend and former colleague of ours walking by, uh, Sarah Baker, who used to run the White House vetting office. That and, is, and she's here. That so. is the definition of serendipity. Um, you want to say hi, Sarah? Hello, Sarah. No. You're going to fit right in here you're, yeah, with that quick gonna, wit. You'll probably be everyone's favorite guest already. Um, but Sarah is currently runs something called We the Action. Do you want to talk a little bit about what We the Action does? There might be someone out there who would be interested in engaging. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, so. We the Action is a platform we launched about a year ago. We're a platform that makes it really, really easy for lawyers to find and volunteer for uh, projects that they want to do. So anything from working on um, volunteering on issues ranging from LGBTQ rights, immigration, education, um, 
We have a lot of uh, projects related to nominations and vetting nominees. We have um, projects uh, helping small educational nonprofits. It really ranges uh, in, in, in substantive area and the type of work we're looking for lawyers or the type of volunteer work we're looking so for lawyers So it's pro bono. It is like pro a pro bono, bono matching, like a yeah. So the the way that it works is lawyers come to our site and they join. It's free, um, and they join and uh, they can just browse uh, opportunities posted by our more than ninety nonprofit partners. So we have that's really cool. About 95, 96 nonprofit partners. Thousands of lawyers have joined. Hundreds and hundreds of hours of volunteer work has been done. And what I think makes us unique is that we offer a lot of volunteer projects and opportunities that lawyers can do, you know, in two or three hours from their couch. It doesn't necessarily mean signing up for something that's going to take days, weeks, months, years, which is an experience that a lot of lawyers have when doing yeah, volunteer Yeah, we're doing pro work. bono. Yeah. We, we do have projects that can be more yes, significant yeah. and, and substantive and, and, you know, really, really um, important projects like representing a father who's separated from his son at the border, at the southern border, or representing a, a woman who is a victim of discrimination in the workplace. So we have those sort of lengthier uh, type of projects, but we also have some really short-term projects that people can do from their couch. How, yeah, does, and how does someone sign up real quick? And, yeah. And then we'll get to the vetting question. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, anyone who's interested can go to wetheaction.org and sign up, and that goes for lawyers and also um, anyone who works at a nonprofit who might want to join and get some great lawyers. Uh, As you say, yet another cool job from, that I've heard from an Obama alum. Yeah, and yeah. When I run into or hear about it, they're just they're yeah. doing a lot of really cool things, Stone. making making the world a better place. But did you mention that Sarah was the head of vetting for I, the? Obama? I think I mentioned that. Okay, I think I mentioned that. But I also know that you have a really big important question that was left over from the first. Yeah, I was saying, I was like, you know, Dan and I are supposed to be government experts, and the podcast is supposed to be us answering all these key questions. And in the first segment, I made the point that I was not nominated initially, I was intended to nominate, or the president intends to nominate Danny Orville, and then later I was nominated more formally. Mm -hmm. And we're like, why do they do that? And we didn't know, so why did they do that? Yeah, so um, you were likely nominated when the Senate was out of session, so you can't officially nominate um, while the Senate is on recess, so you have to intend to nominate, and then the formal nomination papers will go up uh, when the Senate comes back in. So my, my theory that the intent to nominate is just one last step in the vetting process, not not, <laughs> not true. Not true. Not true. Yeah, an intent to nominate, you're 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 through the vetting process. The, the White House vetting process. Yeah, you're through the White not, House you're, vetting you're process. You started the Senate vetting process. But I, I didn't realize that all these nominees were sort of sweating it out while you you know this intent to nominate. That, that, uh, I just remember the Ledge Affairs director, you know, just kind of at every moment, like cautioning me yeah. about everything. Like, now you're not nominated yet. Right. Like, I, assuming that, and, and it left me with the impression that something could happen. And I felt like through the whole process, I was always being cautioned and caveated. It's, it was like ingrained, and it wasn't anything about me. I just think it was ingrained that the way in which they managed the nominees were don't get their hopes up, level set them that this is going to be a long process, condition them to know that there's pain points coming, right. and you know don't get too excited. 
you know, get, don't get too high or too low during the journey. Yeah, and I mean, right, just because somebody gets nominated, it doesn't mean that they don't continue to live their lives and sometimes accrue more <laughs> potential flags, more obstacles to confirmation. And I mean, we've seen that, you know, we see nominations get withdrawn. I mean, you've, we've seen that. I, the, the one that's coming to mind right now that's from the most recent administration, though this is not a recent um, you know, the, the one that I was thinking about was Andy Pudster, Pudster, Pudzer. Labor, was yeah, yeah, who was the Carl's Jr. Um, oh, right, right. Uh, so he, he sort of, I, I don't know that he continued to sort of uh, create flags, but that was someone who got nominated and it got pulled just because. Oh, of, I think that I think that happens, it happens all the time. Yeah, it happens yeah. a lot. I mean, the Senate, I assume. I mean, the White House vetting process, I, which I was telling Dan in the first segment, I found it to be incredibly thorough, more invasive than I thought it was going to be in terms of uh, the types of questions and documents mm-hmm. and, and everything. Um, yeah, I had, I had more than one nominee say something along the lines of, you know, I've never even said this to my priest or yes. <laughs> nobody, my spouse doesn't even know this, you know, and it's a, it's a, bizarre process to go through from the the standpoint of the vetting attorney too because it's this very lopsided sort of relationship where they know nothing about you and you know so much about them yes and you're trying to establish trust and you know that well i know and it's it it just it took me by surprise i just didn't real and none of this by the way came up in my senate confirmation process thankfully but and it was just questions about you know, just just to give an example, to give the audience a sense, it's questions about any mental health counseling that you've had, or any issues in your family of conflict or something, or any uncles that have been arrested or anything. There's a lot of kind of like pe- peeling back the onion layer on issues of conflict or challenge that you've had in your life, just to surface it in case for a variety of different reasons. Could it be used for blackmail? Could it, it could it embarrass the president in some way if it came out? And so the interviewers uh, encourage you to be fairly exhaustive and inclusive so they can get a sense of it and make their own interpretations of whether this is something relevant. And I felt like, you know, there's a, there's constantly this question is how is that ultimately relevant? So it, it felt, it, was, it wasn't overly painful, it was fine, but it just, I remember being a little bit surprised by by how, how exhaustive the questions were. So, yeah, I think one reason for that is because sort of, as you will recall, parallel to the White House vetting process, there are other things happening, including the FBI background investigation. And so the vetting, the White House vetting process does in some ways track the yes. FBI background investigation. Um, and um, which is made available to the chair and ranking of the the committee that is con- is is considering the yes. nomination or the nominee, and so um, there's a benefit to sort of asking some parallel questions. I should remember, like, I'll give you an example of a question that, and there's always like they're writing stuff down. Is it a bet? Like, so do you gamble? I said, no, I have a monthly poker group. And writing down, like, is that, he's writing it down. I was like, oh, yeah, in a fantasy football league. Does that count? Oh, he's writing down. I'm like, this is bad. Fantasy football, <laughs> my poker group, I'm doomed. 
but you know ultimately it didn't you know there's a lot of stuff like that that's just like that it's fine that it rolls off but the, the question is asked and you answer it yeah and we you know we always understood and appreciated that people were going through this very intrusive process and tried to be considerate and um, careful in, in how we approached it um, because it is intrusive and you know it's it's asking a lot of people to to go through it and we we understood that it also you know was incredibly important to us these are positions of public trust and significant responsibility and so it's important that you approach that with care and consideration um and so and thoroughness so um that sort of guided our our work yeah is there any is there any part of the process after the time you spent doing it that you you felt was kind of ripe for reform or needed some change? Um, yeah, I think there were, yes, and I know that there were efforts, um, and, and, and I confess I don't know sort of where they are in the process, and you all may know now, um, and I know people were looking into things like um, how far back the, the FBI went in their background investigations. Like, does the FBI need to go back, you know, 20 years for a nominee for the National Endowment for the Arts or, you know, or, you know, and, and sort of trying to more um, carefully calibrate the level of scrutiny with the position for which a person is being considered. And, and there's been a lot of discussion on that on the on the SF-86, which mm -hmm. we've talked about, which which is the form that you fill out to get a security clearance. And there's, you know, it's it's a burdensome form, and and to the extent it can be streamlined and right-sized, and and the questions can be more targeted. Mm -hmm. That's always been a, a thought process in terms of how to improve improve the whole the whole clearance process. Yeah, for sure. And you know, another thing that I've thought a lot about, or thought a lot more about towards the end of of the process is yes, that that it it could be more streamlined. But also that it's um, it's sort of a little bit dated in its concerns. Now, some of those concerns I think have become more valid more recently. But I, I do think that there is a, a, a sort of there there are pieces of concerns that may be missing. There's there's nothing on sort of social media type. Um, oh, that's a good point. Flags. Which what have you tweeted or right. posted on Facebook? See, I, yeah, they, we're they, so they old. They get all the. That they didn't get all exist. This paperwork and like no one asks for the. I don't even think I had a Facebook account. No one uh, asked. Yeah. No vetting attorney asks to friend you on uh, on on Instagram or whatever. Yeah, and we we do you do some amount of that and well, you were there at the end of the administration. Did you look? That's a real. Did you like if someone was nominated and through the vetting process, did you look at all their tweets? Yes, you did. Okay, yeah. which is, um, I mean, it will at some point become completely unmanageable because now you know people have that tens, hundreds of thousands of tweets. I mean, yeah. it, will, it will become unmanageable. Or Facebook posts. So yeah. is that your advice for someone contemplating a nomination, is that you tweet lots and lots of stuff? Just yeah. tweet exactly. <laughs> lots of noise. Yeah, right. create lots of noise. Oh, look, Danny's nominated, and he only or tweeted 200 times. Right. This will be maybe, easy. Maybe, Or maybe that actually is disqualifying. You don't tweet enough. <laughs> I don't think I don't. I, I don't think any vetting attorney was ever said to find somebody who did not tweet. Right, right. <laughs> That's a... That's a lot to go through. That's a lot to go through. And it will become, you know, more and more. Well, I never forget that uh, 
later I did get a Twitter account. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but um, so when I went over to become the IRS commissioner, um, I had never tweeted, but I followed people on Twitter. And one of the person, so you were like a creeper. Well, I, I know, um, yeah, like I I had my thing, and and one of the people that I followed on Twitter was Howard Stern. I grew up in New York, listened to him my whole life, big Howard Stern fan. So I followed him on Twitter, and this was like a thing when I became, when I went over the IRS, and it became it was a news art, like it became a news story. Someone went onto my Twitter account and saw that I followed Howard, and there was a. A whole a whole news cycle about it, and then Howard actually talked about it really? on his show and but talked the about IRS me. Was... And it was so worth it. And yeah. at first, I was <laughs> at first I was stressed, like oh boy, here's this like I like I needed this like a hole in the head because I you know I went to the IRS at a stressful time and and lots of lots of news coverage and 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 all these issues. And then all of a sudden, there's this article about me being a Howard Stern fan. At first, it stressed me out, but then when he talked about it. It was like this bucket list. I was talked about on the Howard Stern show, all worth it. So, so it, it, it didn't really dawn on me now that um, today, who you follow, what you're tweeting, that's all mm. in the mix uh, for, for the vetting process. Yeah, and I, I mean, um, it was something this will not sort of surprise you to hear, um, but it's, you know, I'm sure not something that, 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 uh, you would necessarily think about, but it was definitely um, something that we saw a lot more as a potential issue for uh, potential interns that were coming to the White House because they're younger, so they have a more. Wait, so you're vetting interns as well? Yeah, yeah, uh, that yeah, you vetted anyone who came to work in in the. I didn't even realize that in the White House. Um, I mean, I guess it makes a, sense, but yeah, there's a different process depending on sort of what position you're being considered for. Is that decided by the administration? Did, did the Obama administration decide that this was the policy they're going to apply, or do you know? I don't, I actually don't know. Um, I don't know. I think there are some standard procedures that have been followed by many administrations, um, regardless of party. Um, but I don't know, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know where they house it in different. How, how often does someone who's going through vetting, who's otherwise qualified, not make it through? Is that a frequent, like I'm just trying to get a sense of. I have to say like the, everyone's probably thinking about what are the confirmation fail stories, but I know you can't tell them, but maybe. You well, I'm just, yeah, I didn't want to know, like, oh, I remember when John Smith came through and blah, 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 I don't want that, but I mean, that would be interesting. But what I'm saying is like, I'm just curious as to, is it, is it more of a rare occurrence that someone's made, you know, Qualified, obviously, White House interested in White House personnel is like, yeah, this is our guy or gal, mm -hmm. and then they fall out. Does that is that rare or is it more regular than you'd think? I would say it's 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 neither. <laughs> um, it's not. I you know it it happens, and and I would say it's important to remember that it it often happens not because of anything that the nominee did, but just because that person happened to find himself or herself sort of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, I mean, you know, to use an example that people know well, um, you take somebody like Merrick Garland, who was, regardless of your political party, he, he was very highly qualified and he was 
very highly qualified to sit in the Supreme Court, and he became yes, sort of no. The- Obviously, I was I meant like during the White House vetting process, they never get nominated. In other words, oh, you've right. you've decided White House personnel is like this should be the next. CFO of the Department of Agriculture, and this should be the next Deputy Assistant Secretary of Commerce. And then they're going through this vetting process before they ever get nominated. Mm -hmm. And something comes up and you're like, no, not not moving forward for whatever reason. I'm just wondering, is that rare or does it happen more regularly? I think it it happens. It happened at least with some regularity. I, I felt like at the Treasury Department because there was this massive kind of financial reporting you were doing, and oftentimes people came with a uh, massive history of financial transactions that some people would just get wildly overwhelmed by the process and say it's too much and back out. Yeah, certainly people withdraw. I mean, I think one of the things that I learned that um, I was actually back like a week and a half ago speaking at um, UVA Law School where I went where I went to law school and um, talking to a group of students on the law review. And what I told them is that, you know, one of the things I learned in the job is that everyone is vulnerable and it doesn't matter how sterling your credentials or how perfect a life you've led that sometimes this happens. So yes, I would say it happens with some, it happened with some regularity, but, um, not necessarily for a reason like the person didn't pay taxes or you know there was something really terrible wrong yeah something Um, minor like they followed howard stern on twitter (laughs) and we're like nope can't do it sorry you know there are just sometimes um you know for whatever reason you just can't move forward with a person um and uh so um that's probably as much detail. Well, I, think, I, think, I know there's a whole much, and we're gonna we would get a lot more clicks on our podcast if we made yeah, this. It's like, it's like if she like was stories. anonymous and it was a true story session. Yeah, yeah can we disguise her voice? Your voice or, no, it's probably too late for that now. But um, yeah. that's what I think that would be make an inter- like, it would be completely inappropriate to write, but it would be an interesting book. Like yeah. confirmation fails. <laughs> You've even got the title. That's right. right. There. That's right. Um, so. Uh, any parting, any parting wisdom for people who are thinking about or uh, exploring or considering this process? Huh. That's that's uh, you know. I mean, I think pay your ta- pay your taxes. <laughs> should people? Should everyone listening be doing what Danny is doing and have a spreadsheet which yeah. which lists all their travels to Europe and interactions with uh, foreign nationals? Yeah. Foreign nationals. I'm also the world's expert on nanny taxes because I was like religious about. Let's do an episode on that. I yeah, it's boring. But no, I used to give advice to people all the time, and it's you know, it's I found it expensive to go through an accountant, and I was like, I'm just going to dive in and figure this out, and I'm going to be really, really good at it. Yeah. Because, from for my benefit, people, in my view of it, was this was like one of the number one things that, that got people caught, and before I even thought about being, uh, confirmed, it just dawned on me early mm-hmm. after we had a kid, and I wasn't even thinking about being a president that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really good at this. So that's my advice to people. Be really good at your nanny taxes. Yeah, nanny taxes are, that's a that's a big one. I, I, yeah, I, we used to sort of bucket things into like, you know, a person, like a, the, someone's, a nominee's personal life. So there's things in their personal life, things in their professional life, and things in their financial life, which makes up your entire sort of life. Uh, and so 
the financial life was, you know, often had some flags. Um, so, you know, try to, but also uh, we, you know, everyone's human and make people mistakes. Yes. make mistakes on their taxes or pay them late and then have to pay a penalty. And that happens. And you can't, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you would never get nominated or confirmed for a position. So, um, yeah. you know, people make mistakes. Um, and I think the process is understanding of, yes. of that. I think you'd weed out too much talent if you expected perfection from everybody. Right, right. I mean, yeah, nobody's nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. On that happy note, <laughs> uh, yes. thank you, Sarah. Dan's thank perfect. you for joining us, and we'll let you get back to thank your you tremendous the, work. Thank you for all the preparation time you guys gave me. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. you clearly... <laughs> it's uh, the best way to do it, just yeah, jump you, right in. Yeah, yeah exactly. and you've been preparing for quite some time. And now so. you're probably late for wherever you were walking to when Dan, yeah. Dan plucked you off the street. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you. Great. Uh, this is great. All right, Dan, until next time. All right. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.